One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer. Welcome in, everybody. Episode A. Twenty four. Hart Junior. Herb Street is on the phone. Podcast. It is right. We January nineteenth, two thousand twenty four. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great Friday. It is time for the FFE, the Fun Friday edition of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast Loaded Show. Here's what you need to know. We're going to open college football. Alabama, they keep losing player after player after player to the portal. How worried should Bama fans be? We'll discuss that. We may hit on, by the way, quick Dallas Cowboys thing as Mike McCarthy's coming back. We will also, today we'll go a little heavy on college hoops. I think there are three topics worth discussing. The first one, can UConn actually go back-to-back? Because I think they can. We'll talk about Kentucky, that star recruits, Vonnevier Ivisic. He's still not eligible. We need to talk about that. And we'll also talk about Rodney Terry. Did not like those horns down, and we're going to discuss that. Finally, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We got ourselves a loaded, loaded show. We're going to jump around. There is so much to discuss. And here's the thing. There is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day. The topic of the day here on a Friday on the Air Tours pod in late January. Alabama can't stop losing players. Let's dive in. Let's jump in. But listen, the bottom line is this all starts. We know how it, it all starts. I think it was, what, nine days ago? Nick Saban officially announces his retirement uh, last Wednesday, January 10th. And you knew... When Nick Saban left, there would be changes, especially because there wasn't that natural guy to follow him that was already in the program, right? And so because of it, you knew players were going to leave, you knew things were going to be different. But I don't think Bama fans anticipated what happened on Wednesday. They had lost some players in the lead up to Wednesday. But on Wednesday, they lost not one, but two superstar, dynamic marquee players to the portal. Bama fans are not in a good place right now. Now, in terms of who they lost, a couple things. First one, this is a big one. Caleb Downs, All-American safety, who just finished his freshman year, okay? And I know that Torres can be one for hyperbole here and there. He says some stuff that's crazy. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Caleb Downs may have been the best freshman defensive player that Nick Saban ever had. 107 tackles as a freshman. He led the team in tackles. The stat out of Alabama, they have never had on record a true freshman lead the team in tackles that shows you how good this kid is. 107 tackles, two interceptions. And the thing about Caleb Downs, the one thing I will say is it did feel like it was trending towards at least the possibility that he might not be coming back. He's a player from Georgia. He has ties to Georgia. Georgia obviously just hired Alabama's defensive backs coach. So you knew he might enter. And it feels like when he makes a commitment, maybe he has committed by the time many of you listen, it's probably either going to be Georgia or Ohio State, which gets his commitment. So that was crushing. That was devastating. That happened about like 8, 8.30 Eastern time. Many people probably woke up to that news. But what nobody was anticipating was that a second young superstar in this program also announced that he was transferring as on Wednesday afternoon, Caden Proctor, who was the number one offensive tackle in the 2023 high school recruiting class. So not this past cycle, but two cycles ago, came to Alabama, was a true freshman last year, started every single game at right tackle. He too announced he was going to transfer. And so look, Alabama fans knew you were going to lose some guys. They even thought it was at least possible that Caleb Downs might leave. They were hoping it wouldn't happen. But when Caden Proctor announced he was leaving, oh my goodness, that was the one that broke uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Alabama fans, chaos in the streets, frustration in the streets. And I think everybody's wondering, how bad is this? What does it mean? And what does it mean about the present and future of this program? Kalen DeBoer, is he the right guy? All that good stuff. So first off, let me say this. Okay, I want to actually give Bama fans a little bit of credit. Because I think on the national scale, 
I think the narrative have, has been kind of skewed a little bit, okay? To me, it feels like most national people don't actually have the pulse of Bama fans. I think most national people see Bama fans complaining on social media, and they think that this is Bama fans saying, Kalen DeBoer isn't the answer. Oh my God, we hired the wrong coach, whatever. That's not what they're saying at all. I'm not saying I know everything about Bama fans, but I'm into I'm on the radio in Tuscaloosa every week. Have great contacts, uh, you know, all over that city, and I don't think Alabama fans are frustrated with Kalen DeBoer. As a matter of fact, I think most Alabama fans are taking this transition as well as they could. I would say the vast, vast, vast majority of Alabama fans understand that not only is Kalen DeBoer not Nick Saban, that there wasn't a single person they could have hired who would have been like Nick Saban. There is no other Nick Saban walking planet Earth right now. And so they, I, I think they're opening up their arms to Kalen DeBoer. They're giving him a chance. But where I think the frustration is, is not with Kalen DeBoer, but with the rules that allow these players to enter the portal. Why is that? It is because, remember, we know how poor the portal works. You have a window in the, the winter and you have a window in the spring. The exception is if your coach leaves. If your coach leaves, then there is a 30-day window that opens for your players. So Alabama, the day Nick Saban announced his retirement, there is a 30-day window where all of those players can enter the transfer portal. By the way, when Kalen DeBoer accepted the Alabama job, there's a 30-day window when all the Washington players can enter. Same with Arizona when Jed Fish took the uh, uh, Washington job from Arizona. On and on and on and on and on. But where Alabama fans' frustration comes in is their biggest rivals are essentially recruiting off of their roster, trying to convince all their players to enter the portal, and the portal is closed for everybody else. So most of these coaching changes, when a coach gets fired or retires or whatever, it happens in November and December, the portal's open, you can replace these players. Alabama's like, we're losing five-star after five-star after five-star, and we can't go in the portal to replace them because there's nobody left in the portal. So listen, I understand Alabama fans' complaints. I don't really know what you can do because at the end of the day, if you don't open the portal for players whose coach, you know, retires or quits or whatever, you, you know, the NCAA is going to get crushed. Like they have to give players the opportunity to go somewhere else. I think the window could be smaller. I think 10 days after the, the new coach is hired is plenty of time. But I just bring it up to very simply say, I, I understand Alabama fans' frustration. There's nothing they can do. It, players are getting poached. I get it, this and that. So I don't blame Alabama fans. I think that the narrative is misconstrued. But the question becomes, what happens next? Because this is obviously a big deal. How concerned should Bama fans be? Well, listen, what I would say is a couple things. One, I'm never going to sit here and say it's nothing. It's no big deal. Stop overreacting. Whenever you lose high-profile players, it sucks. It stings. And by the way, this is something everyone has dealt with this offseason. Texas A&M, when Jimbo Fisher got fired, Evan Stewart, Walter Nolan entered the transfer portal. Um, you know, uh, whatever. Ohio State lost some guys that I know they wanted to keep. Georgia lost some guys I know they wanted to keep. Now, granted, the portal was open then and they could replace them, but it doesn't change the fact that everybody loses guys. But this late in the process, I understand the frustration. I understand the frustration. I understand why Alabama fans are mad. But what I would also say, like, let's take a 30,000 foot view and just take a deep breath. One, what I will say, and I don't ever remember this happening before. It feels like every fan base this offseason has had a major meltdown over a two, three day period. And this is just Alabama's turn. I remember when the portal first opened, Georgia lost like 19 players. And there was like four or five that Kirby Smart clearly wanted to stay and did not stay. Georgia fans freaked out. What's going on? What's wrong with our program? Whatever. Ohio State, they lost 12, 13, I think it was like 18, 19, 20 guys themselves. What's going on? What's the problem? Why are we losing all these guys? Um, Texas A&M, their fan base freaked out. Mike Elko gets the job. Four or five guys enter the portal. What does it mean? Does, is Mike Elko the right man for the job? Then Mike Elko crushed it in the portal. Then Ryan Day got everything calm and got the guys that he wanted. Then Kirby Smart got the guys that he wanted. But keep going down the list. Florida State, that fan base we know had a meltdown. LSU had a bad couple days. Florida had a bad couple days around National Signing Day. USC was a mess when they had three or four players that were high profile enter the portal. So everybody deals with this. 
What I would also say about Bama is two more things. One, the number of players that are actually impact players is smaller than people think. Like when I look at Bama, yes, you lost those two that I mentioned. Yes, you lost your leading receiver, Isaiah Bond. But let me say this. One, wide receiver is the last position I would worry about with Kalen DeBoer. Like it sucks you lost your leading receiver, but I'm not worried about wide receiver with Kalen DeBoer as your head coach. That's one. Two, you look at the guys that they retained there's still a lot of talent in that building. Jalen Milrow, starting quarterback. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Booker, the starting left tackle. He came out on Tuesday or uh, Thursday and did a big interview with Chris Lower. He said, this is my legacy. I'm not leaving Bama. I love this place too much. Uh, your best defensive players, Deontay Lawson, could have gone pro, came back not only to college, but to Bama. Jihad Campbell, star linebacker, came back to Bama. So you haven't lost a lot of those bedrock pieces. And if you can keep those pieces in place, you largely keep the culture in place from Nick Saban. And that to me is important. If you didn't, if you didn't see that interview with Chris Lowe, I encourage you to check it out because that was what a lot of guys that are coming back said. They said like, look, the culture doesn't change. The standard doesn't change just because coach Saban is here. As a matter of fact, the best thing we can do to build his legacy is to keep the standard going. And so I think as long as you have Jalen Milrow in that building, as long as you have the guys that I mentioned, Tyler Booker, the starting left tack, a couple of the defensive guys, the standard is going to stay the same. And by the way, there's a lot of young players that are staying. Remember, that was a record-setting recruiting class two years ago. Most of this year's recruiting class, which was ranked number two in the country, is still there. You're going to be fine, and it's on Kalen DeBoer to develop these guys, keep them in the program, and win with them next year. I said it when Kalen DeBoer got the job. He's got to win right away because this coming season might be the most talented roster that he, it's certainly the most talented roster he's ever had, and it might be the most talented roster he ever does have. So it's on him to continue to win and continue to build this. Finally, what I would say, Alabama fans, listen, I'm not here to sugarcoat it. I'm not here to say everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, nothing to worry about, this, that, the other thing. But what I will say, Bama fans, is that, reinforcements are coming because remember what did i just say bama's not the only school that had a 30-day window in the portal washington did obviously arizona did as well and you start to look at some of those pieces from washington actually you could argue washington has lost a lot more players than bama has bam I, I think the stat on washington is they have zero starters from the national championship game coming back they all either graduated are going pro or entered the portal at least on the offensive side of the ball. So you look at that and you look at the fact a lot of them are coming to coming to Bama. Uh, starting center, who was an all-Pac-12 center this year, visiting Bama this weekend. I would expect him to commit to Bama on the visit. The number one rated recruit in Washington's class, a top 100 edge player, I believe the name is Noah Carter, was committed to Washington, top 100 player, had offers from everybody. Gets out of his letter of intent, and he is visiting Bama this weekend. So I'm not saying you're going to replace everybody. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's going to be okay. And a lot of those guys that were going to Washington are now going to come to Bama. If they were good enough to play at Washington, good enough to play in the Big Ten, good enough to play for a team that just competed for a national championship, it's going to be fine at Bama. Really quickly, before we switch gears to college hoops, can I take just a minute to talk about the Dallas Cowboys? We did a big Cowboys segment on Sunday's Aaron Torres pod, Monday's Aaron Torres pod, where we talked about the Mike McCarthy situation. And I said, you gotta fire Mike McCarthy. They did. We found out Wednesday night that Mike McCarthy is coming back as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Let me say I'm both not surprised and very surprised at the same time. The reason I'm not surprised, listen, Jerry Jones has this reputation as, oh, he's this renegade gunslinger, uh, Texas wildcatter. He's crazy. He's on the seat of his pants. That might've been who he was in the nineties when Jerry, uh, when Jimmy Johnson got fired, might've been who he was in the early two thousands when Bill Parcells was, was with the team. That's not who he's been about the last 15 years. I mentioned it the other day, Jason Garrett, when Jason Garrett was supposed to be fired, I remember doing radio, I remember doing radio and, and, and I was doing radio all week long and it was like, okay, Season ends on a Sunday. Cowboys stink. You have to fire Jason Garrett. And then it gets to Monday. Doesn't get fired. Tuesday. Doesn't get fired. 
Wednesday, Jerry's thinking about bringing him back. Thursday, maybe you put him in a front office role. And then it was like five or six days later, they finally fired Jason Garrett. And this was a guy with, I think, two playoff wins in 10 years, never made it beyond the divisional round of the playoffs. And so, Jerry, this is not who he is. He's loyal to a fault. He's loyal to coaches who kisses you-know-what, kiss the ring, let's put it that way. And so I guess I'm not surprised. The only thing I'm surprised about is the coaches that are available are so good. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'm like squeezing my head right now because it hurts my brain to think about the number of coaches that would be such an improvement over Mike McCarthy, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll. Like you just go on. I just mentioned two coaches that have won Super Bowls, three that have coached in a Super Bowl, plus Mike Vrabel, who had the number one seed a few years ago. And so I don't know what they do. But Mike McCarthy isn't the answer. We've talked about it so many times on this show. Bottom line, that team is disorganized. By the way, I, I don't care that you won all these regular season games. It's almost like Ryan Day. It's almost like Ryan Day, the, the, the Ohio State head coach. Don't tell don't show me what you did, Ryan Day, against Indiana and um Rutgers and Iowa. Beat Michigan, win the Big Ten every once in a while. Okay. And it's kind of the same with Mike McCarthy. I don't care that you won 11, 12, 10 regular season games. You are a January football team. We care about what you do in the postseason. You are not delivering. So I can't lie. I'm kind of surprised that Mike McCarthy is back. Kind of not surprised at all. All right, that's what I do. We have a lot of college hoops to get to, so we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. When we come back, college hoops, can UConn go back-to-back? Kentucky, their star recruit, is still not eligible. It's January. Going to take a quick break, discuss that. Also, Rodney Terry did not like the horns down. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears. Do want to talk a little bit of college hoops. Listen, we love college football on this show. But once we get through this Bama news cycle over the next few days, there really isn't going to be a ton to talk about from the college football perspective. And the bottom line is we talk college basketball, I believe, as well as anybody in the country on this show. Not saying there aren't other good college basketball reporters and analysts and whatever, but I think we do a really good job. I think we're smart, we're informed, good guests, etc. And so I do want to talk a little college hoops today because I do think there's been some interesting developments just since Wednesday's show. Wednesday, we talked about my top three teams. By the way, they all dominated on Wednesday night, so they made me look smart. But there are a couple other conversations that I want to get into based off of Wednesday night. The first one, it involves my UConn Huskies. UConn beat the brakes off of Creighton on Wednesday night. Final score in that game, 62 to 48. And why I want to talk about it is pretty straightforward. It is because once or twice a week, I get a DM, a text message from a friend, uh, whoever. Torres, do you really think UConn can go back to back? And I'll be honest, in the preseason, I don't think I was sold. In the early season, I didn't think I was sold. Even in the non-con, they, they're dominating everybody. I say, okay, maybe they are, maybe they're not, whatever. But I am here to tell you, it's not just because they're number one in the polls. This is the best team in college basketball right now. And it's not to say other teams aren't good. Kentucky's really good. Arizona, at most of the time, is good. Purdue is good. Tennessee is good. But at their best, I believe UConn is the best. I can't believe I'm saying it. I do think UConn can go back to back. In terms of UConn, first of all, let's start with Wednesday night's game. Because this was a butt kicking for the ages. Creighton comes in. Top 20 team. Playing pretty well. They just beat St. John's. That was the St. John's game where Rick Petito, they lost by on the final possession. And Rick Petito said something to the effect of every time we lose, I want to jump in the lake and die of frostbite. That's a real quote. I'm not making that up. Anyway, I bring it up because Creighton's a good team. And it was, I don't want to say it was never competitive, but from about the midway point of the first half through the end of the game, it was complete UConn domination. The 62 to 48 score does not reflect how one-sided this game was. You know that UConn was up 18 points with six minutes to go. They were up 54 to 36 with six minutes to go. By the way, and by the way, and, and that's exactly, you know, like the score is not reflected. They were up 18 points. Creighton makes a little bit of a run. I think they cut it to 10 or eight. UConn comes all the way back. 
But just the fact that they held Creighton to 36 points with six minutes to go tells you everything you need to know about how good this team is and how dominant they can be, especially on the defensive end. Creighton is an elite offensive team. Creighton came into this game averaging 79.9 points per game, about 80% or 80 points per game on the season. You know that UConn held them to 36 points with six minutes to go and essentially at, I don't want to say half their average, but this was just completely dominant and it was completely predicated on one thing. UConn might be finally getting healthy because they got their All-American center back, Donovan Klingon, or he was a preseason All-American. He hasn't made any All-American teams yet. But Donovan Klingon is the difference maker of all difference makers. Seven foot two center from Bristol, Connecticut. He's going to be a top 20 pick as long as his medicals come back fine. But he is an insanely talented player, and he completely changes the dynamic of this team's defense. Seven foot two rim protector, quick feet, just makes life easier for everybody else. And you could see that in this game. UConn can be so much more aggressive knowing he is there to protect the rim. Samson Johnson, their backup, now doesn't have to worry about foul trouble as much because when Donovan Klingon was out, he had to play more minutes. And so you look at this UConn team. You look at how dominant the effort was defensively. And then here's the crazy part. With Donovan Klingon back, they're still figuring it out offensively as well. And that's the craziest part to me. And I've said this all season long. I don't think they've played a complete, perfect game yet. Now, they're sitting there at 14-2 and two right now. Only losses at Kansas and at Seton Hall. Remember, Seton Hall, by the way, is tied with UConn atop the Big East standing. But I don't think they've played a perfect game. The offense was not great on, on, Monday, on Wednesday night, and it wasn't even competitive. The defense has been pretty good all year. But at times, Tristan Newton, their star guard from last year's team, has been a star. Then other nights, Alex Caravan. Then the transfer, Cam Spencer from Rutgers. Different guys, different nights, different stars, but it hasn't all clicked together, and they haven't been healthy, as I've said, the last couple episodes. Donovan Klingon, hurt in the preseason. He comes back to start the year. Then Stephon Castle, a McDonald's All-American guard, gets hurt. Then Stephon Castle comes back, Klingon gets hurt again. So they're already elite defensively, or they, they, they're now elite defensively with Klingon back. The offense has not totally clicked when everybody's in the lineup. And I think they got another gear to get to. Now, to be blunt, the schedule does get tougher starting this weekend at Villanova. I would argue the best teams in the Big East outside of Seton Hall, they haven't played on the road. They still have to go to Creighton, to Villanova, to Marquette, to St. John's. And so I'm not sitting here and I'm not saying that you know anything is guaranteed. But when people ask me, is this team capable of going back to back? The question is not if they're capable. It's if they're going to. couple things stand out. When I look at national championship teams, this is what there are three things that I look for. One, do you have like the requisite experience? Now, I think there are exceptions to every rule. I think Kentucky, despite not really having a ton of tournament experience on this year's team, because they, they, they play four freshmen big minutes. I think Kentucky's good enough to win a championship. I think Alabama last year with a bunch of freshmen was good enough to win a national championship. But I do think tournament experience helps. You go back to last year with UConn. They had been in the tournament the previous two years, had not won games. Well, this UConn team obviously has tournament experience. They have guys on that roster that have been on teams that have lost in the tournament, so they know what it's like. Alex Caravan was a redshirt during the season in which they lost in the first round to New Mexico State when they got upset. New Mexico State, by the way, was coached by Chris Jans, who now coaches at Mississippi State. Anyway, neither here nor there. They have tournament experience. The most important thing they have, they have NBA dudes. And this is my thing with Purdue. Everybody says, oh, Torres, you hate Purdue. I don't hate Purdue. But to win in the tournament, we have a 50-year track record. You need dudes. You need alphas. You need difference makers. You need multiple NBA players. Even in the years where UConn has not been a number one seed, has not been one of the best teams during the regular season, You've had multiple NBA players, Shabazz Napier, Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lamb, last year, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, Adama Sadogo. So they have the experience. They have NBA dudes. You go back to last year, their size and athleticism overwhelmed everybody. And I think it will do much the same once we get to the tournament this year. Now, there are a handful of teams that will be able to handle it, but not many. 
Not many when you think about Alex Caravan potentially at the four at six foot ten. Donovan Kling at seven foot two. Samson Johnson, six foot ten. Tristan Newton, a point guard at six foot five. So I like this team. I think they're capable. And lastly, I'll say this. UConn, for all the national championships that they've won, this is kind of crazy. They've never really had the advantageous pathway to the Final Four. You know of the five national championships that UConn has won, four of them have come out of the West region. They've had to go out West, including last year, 99-04-2011 with Kemba Walker. And then last year, they had to go through the West region for four out of the five. Well, this year, if they get that number one seed in the East, and that's what it's trending towards, they're going to play their opening round games in Brooklyn. Okay, UConn home game back-to-back. And then the regional is in Boston, which for people who don't know geography, is like a 45-minute drive in the car from Stores, Connecticut. Maybe it's a little bit more. It's been a while since I've done the drive. It's not a bad drive. It's an easy drive. So UConn's essentially going to play four home games to go to the Final Four, whereas last year in the opening rounds they played in Albany, but then they had to go out to Vegas where there were more Gonzaga fans in the Elite Eight, more Arkansas fans in the Sweet 16, and they still won. So I don't mean to go on and on. It's only January 19th, 18th, whenever you're listening to this. But can they do it? They absolutely can. All right, let's switch gears because I do want to get to another topic that I think is worth noting. We got to talk about what's going on with Kentucky big man Zvonavir Ivisic. Call him Big Z, okay? So this was a topic we hit on a lot in the fall, and we haven't, I've just kind of stayed out of the way because I have assumed that it would work itself out, but it hasn't, and I'm frustrated, and I would be remiss if I did not talk about it right now all right so kentucky's rolling they're awesome i think they're the second best team in the country behind uconn but that's neither here nor there um but i bring it up because all season long there's been this cloud over the team involving the eligibility of a kid named zvonavir ivisic for people who don't remember we talked about it when he committed seven foot two croatian okay so he's from croatia originally nobody knew much about him He declared for last year's NBA draft after playing in Europe with draws from the draft. Everyone thinks that he's going going back to Europe to play. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear on like a Friday afternoon, Kentucky's recruiting this international kid. And then he starts to see highlights. You're like, this kid's really good. And then like a day later, he commits. I think he we first found out that we were they were even recruiting him on a Thursday or Friday. He commits on a Monday or Tuesday. And ever since then. We've been waiting to see this kid in action. Once he commits, there was an issue with his uh, transcript or whatever. He was not at first admitted to the university. That was the first big hurdle. That was frustrating. You sat there and said, what the heck is going on with this kid? How is Kentucky not admitting him? And he gets to camp. uh, You know, I think he didn't even get to campus until late September, early October because the school did not admit him. So then the school admits him, we're getting closer to the season, and then he starts getting held out of games. And it's like, well, what the heck's going on here? And we find out that he has not yet been cleared by the NCAA. And so I bring it up to very simply say, it is now January 18th, 19th, 20th, as you're listening to this. Zvonavir Ivisic, or as Kentucky fans call him, Big Z, has not yet been cleared by the NCAA. And I am here to tell you it's ridiculous. I'm here to tell you it's unfair. And I am here to tell you enough is enough. The good news is I do think we're going to get some resolution on this soon. So let me just say this, okay? One thing. We obviously have a lot of Kentucky listeners of this show, okay? But I have never once said anything that I don't believe to be true. But I believe the NCAA is railroading this kid. And I believe the fact that he is not eligible is completely unfair. It's not because it's Kentucky. It's not because of whatever. It's because it's BS nonsense. By the way, you know how much BS it is? How about the fact that Kentucky fans have actually bought a billboard in Indianapolis uh, right near the NCAA headquarters saying free big Z. But it's ridiculous for a number of reasons. One, look at the landscape of college basketball, okay? Let's just let's just talk facts. Let's take out opinions, all that stuff. One, every single transfer in America is eligible. Okay? So kids, they've transferred two, three, four times. Their transcripts are a mess. They didn't pass this class. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. 
And the NCAA just kind of threw up their hands and said, you know what? We can't win this battle. Everybody's eligible. You transfer three times in three years, barely got any credits. Who cares? You're eligible. So all these transfers are eligible. Yet this kid, Big Z, is not. How about the fact of this? We have international players on almost every team of the country at this point. Not quite every team, but pretty darn close. A lot of them coming directly from overseas. Arizona has multiple international players. All got cleared this offseason in time for the start of the season. UCLA, multiple freshmen. I think one of them wasn't cleared for the start of the season, but he ended up getting cleared probably the first week or two of the season. That was, by the way, why I thought, why I've kind of not really spoken out about Big Z. Because I sat there and said, well, wait a second now. If the UCLA guys got cleared, my assumption is that this kid will get cleared soon. Nope. Three, this is the craziest part. The issue is something to do with his quote-unquote amateurism because he played professionally in Europe. Well, one, I'm not naming names, but all these kids played professionally in Europe. Okay, like, you know, just do some research on some of these guys, these high-profile international kids that are coming to the U.S. They all played professionally. But here's the crazy part. If the argument is they took money as professionals, guess who else is taking money? Guess who else is taking money? Literally, everyone in college basketball, pretty much. You have kids making probably seven figures at this point via collectives, via NIL, via, you know, getting paid to play, essentially. Every school, high major, mid major, low major. I'm not saying every kid everywhere is getting money, but most are getting a little something. And a lot of them are getting six figures, seven figures. So the issue you're telling me is that there's an issue with his amateurism, even though everyone in college basketball is getting paid. It makes no sense. And, and finally, I would say this, and I said this early when there was an, an issue with his eligibility. If, if he was incapable, like I would have no problem with the NCAA not allowing him to play if he was a sham student, un, incapable. Listen, I can't even speak English. What the heck? Incapable of doing the work, okay? Like if this was just, he's coming to play basketball, he can't speak the language, he's only going to be here a semester, whatever. Then I'd say the NCAA is like, well, if he can't do the work, that's one thing. But he can do the work. I don't have access to Kentucky's, you know, private uh, academic records. But according to Calipari, he has done the work. He was an, uh, not an elite, but he was an excellent student in his first semester on campus in the winter. And so I bring it up because what are we doing, NCAA? I'm not Mr. Anti-NCAA, blame the NCAA for everything. But this one feels like a no-brainer. Grab the rubber stamp, stamp approval, boom, next one. This isn't something you need to fight. This isn't a battle you're going to win, and you just look stupid for doing this given all the other circumstances, given that given that kids are getting paid, given that kids uh, are able to transfer two or three times, it makes no sense. And so I'm not going to go on and on. The only silver lining that I would really say about this, it does appear as though we are getting to the finish line with this. You know, Calipari went on a nice little rant. Um, he went on a nice little rant uh, after the game on Wednesday night against Mississippi State. He did the whole thing of, I love this kid. He has such a positive attitude. But he said, like, let's just get this thing going. And I think Calipari's kind of biting his tongue because he knows it's close. He doesn't want to say anything that's going to screw up the process. And then I did tweet this out the other night is, listen, you know, I know a few people in the Kentucky basketball ecosystem. Um, and and usually when I shoot a text or make a phone call to get some information, most people are usually pretty responsive because they want, you know, they want the media and I am the media, whether, you know, people like, like people in the media don't want to be in the media anymore, but we are. And I bring it up because whether you want to call them sources, whatever, like I have people that I know in that orbit and generally they'll tell you what's going on because they want the media to know if there is a grave injustice going on, they want you to be aware so that you can use your platform to speak out about it. This is ridiculous. This is whatever, blah, blah, blah. I only bring it up because I did reach out to a few people kind of in that Kentucky basketball orbit and it's been crickets. And I think what that says to me is that. Again, what I just said with Calipari, they're getting close. They don't want anything screwed up. If they, you know, if, if they share too much with a media member and then I go off because, you know, tours can get a little crazy on social media sometimes, 
then maybe that would screw it up. I don't think like anyone's actively hiding things from anyone, myself or anyone else in the media. I just think it's one of those they're saying like, we're really close. We don't need any messaging from other than probably John Calipari himself, maybe a player or two that does media availability. But I just bring it up, Kentucky fans, I think you're close. I can't promise it, but I feel pretty good that we're going to see this kid in a Kentucky uniform soon. One last college hoop story before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, and I'll be quick on this one. Even though from a national perspective, it probably made the most headlines. Did you see what happened at Texas with Rodney Terry? All right, so Rodney Terry is the head coach of Texas. Remember, he took over for Chris Beard last year uh, as an interim role, and he was named the head coach after the season. And I will defend Texas. I thought it was the right hire at the time. But they are not doing very well. And on, on Wednesday night, they lost at home to UCF. UCF, Central Florida, the, the Knights, they are in the Big 12, remember? And Texas loses at home to UCF. Why I bring it up? It is because after the game, the UCF players walk through the tunnel or whatever, you know, the, 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 the handshake line. And the UCF players did the horns down. And you you can see video of Rodney Terry, the Texas head coach, saying this is classless, this is unacceptable, this is this, this is that, blah, 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 blah. And he looks kind of like a freaking, I don't know how to say it nicely. He just, it's not a good look by Rodney Terry. Um, and he did he did address it in the post-game press conference, by the way. He said, when you do those kinds of things, it looks very classless, and it also looks like you were just hoping to win. We never go into games trying to hope to win. We go into games expecting to win. So we don't act like that. We expect to win. We don't jump up and down and act like we won the national championship. We sure don't step on anyone's home court and act crazy and try to show them up in any way. Uh, You guys won. Hey, we shake your hand and tip our cap to you, but we're not going to let you act that way in our building. You're not going to put your horns down and do all that nonsense. So a couple thoughts here. One, listen, my take, my, my, my first initial take is the same take that everyone has on this. Texas, you look so weak. And like the only reason that people do the horns down is because they know it gets under the skin of Texas fans and Texas players and Texas coaches. And so they do it. It's like, when you have a little brother or sister? Like, love my little sister. She's not so little, you know, she's not little anymore. She's, you know, getting older. Congrats to her. Love her so much. But, you know, like when I was a kid, you knew there were those two or three things you could do or say or whatever. They would just drive her crazy. They would just make her so mad. And that's how Texas fans are with the with the horns down. If you didn't respond to it, if you didn't care, people would not do it. By the way, you can't make this argument when every time you win, you get in the, 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 the you sing the eyes of Texas and you do the horns up. If you want to do the horns up, they can do the horns down. It's not that big of a deal. But finally, you know what my big takeaway is on this? You know what's embarrassing? It's not UCF's players doing the horns down in the handshake line. It is Texas's Texas's players losing at home to UCF. UCF was picked to finish last in the Big 12 this year. Now, credit to them. They're better than we thought they would be in their first year in the conference, okay? Done a good job. They beat Kansas a few days ago at home. Did you know that Texas had a 17-point lead in this game? Did you know that Texas had a 15-point lead in the second half and they ended up losing? And so my thing is, you want to be frustrated about something, be frustrated that your team blew a 17-point lead. Be frustrated that you just lost to UCF at home. And oh, by the way, you lost to West Virginia, who isn't very good either, a few days before that. And so if you're Rodney Terry, bro, listen, Rodney Terry, by all accounts, is a great guy. I don't know him, but everybody that knows him loves him. But my guy, you got bigger freaking issues than the horns down. You got to get your team to play. By the way, this was a preseason top 25 team for most. Torres did not have them in their top 25. I didn't like them at all. But listen, Big 12 is tough. The Big 12 is brutal. Here is the crazy part about this for Texas. This is the easy part of your schedule, and you're losing. You're losing to everybody. You're losing to the best teams in the country. You're losing to the worst teams in the league, excuse me. As we sit here and speak right now, the Texas Longhorns in the Big 12, not doing very good. They're not doing very good. Let me let me look up the standings really quick here. Texas right now, as we speak, as I look it up, terrible rating. 
Texas is sitting there in the Big 12 at one in 12 and 5 overall, 1 and 3 in league play. They've already lost to West Virginia, who's also 1 and 3. They lost to Central Florida, UCF, who's 2 and 2. They are not very good. They already, by the way, have two home losses, and nobody's losing at home this year. So, Ronnie Terry, my guy, you got bigger issues. This isn't that big of a deal. Get over it. If anybody wants to be upset about anything, it should be Texas fans for you blowing a 17-point lead, not you for the UCF players doing the horns down. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. This show is flowing today. Flowing like the Ticonderoga River or whatever. I think I just made up a term like Niagara Falls. Going to take a quick break, come back. When we come back, wrap the show, wrap the week. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. So much more to get to. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. Been a few weeks since we did Aaron right, Aaron wrong, and now feels like a good time to bring it back. For people who are new to the show, we wrap most Fridays with Aaron right, Aaron wrong. Yes, I stole this segment from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this, Torres said that you should have listened to Torres, Torres never shuts up, just ask my wife. With that said though, if I'm going to take victory laps every time I get something right, I got to take those L's every time I get something wrong, and so we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, my best and worst takes of the week, let's get to it, where Aaron was right. Well, I mean, I did pick Michigan win the national championship in the preseason, right? And it's not only just that Michigan won the title. Congrats to Michigan. First, I think it's their first outright national championship since like the 40s. They split one in 1997 with Nebraska. But what was cool was everything went essentially how I told you it was going to go. I said why I like this team. It is because of their resilience, their mental toughness. Nothing phases this group. And that's exactly what happened. Jim Harbaugh suspended the first three games, rolled right off their back. The Connor Stallions investigation rolls right off their back. No Jim Harbaugh for Penn State. They still win. No uh, Jim Harbaugh for Maryland or Ohio State. They still win. So congrats to Michigan. Listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but it's so cool to see Michigan hoist that national championship trophy. Happy for Jim Harbaugh. But more importantly, also just cool to see it go down exactly the way I thought. Where Aaron was wrong. I'll be honest. I never thought Nick Saban was going to retire. Like, I, you know, it's not just me. Uh, it's worth noting, uh, I was around all the Alabama media members during Rose Bowl week. I don't think anybody had any indication this was coming. And Nick Saban himself said, I'm going to croak on the sidelines. I, I'm going to be doing this forever because I love football. I love coaching. I love being around young people. And so the fact that he's gone, listen, I, I know that Kalen DeBoer has been on campus for a week now. I know a lot has happened at Alabama as we talked earlier in the show. It is still wild, though. To think about Alabama without Nick Saban. Listen, I got into this business um, as a professional kind of towards the beginning of his career. Basically, as long as I've been talking about sports and somebody has cared to read or write about it, Nick Saban has been the Alabama football coach. So I cannot believe. I, we knew this day was coming, but I am still in shock that Nick Saban retired when he did. I thought he had easily another two, three, four years left. Instead, he retires. I wish him luck in retirement. Although I have a feeling he'll be on game day, I have a feeling we'll be seeing plenty of Nick Saban. Where Aaron was right, let's go to the NFL. Listen, I said it two years ago on this show. After the Cowboys lost that game against the San Francisco 49ers when they could not spike the ball properly, the most basic thing in the world, I said you have to get rid of Mike McCarthy. He is not the answer. You have a small window where you're overpaying Dak, but you have CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons, a bunch of other guys on rookie contracts. This is the window right now, and you're going to waste it with Paul Blart Mall Cop as your head coach. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike McCarthy. And don't tell me, you know, I I've seen this this week. It's like, well, you know, I mean, he's won 12 games every season and blah, 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 blah. It's what I say about Ryan Day all the time. I don't care what Dallas does in week four against the Washington Commanders. 
The Cowboys, they are an organization that it's been 30 years now since they've been major Super Bowl contenders, and they have a team to do it. This isn't the Commanders rebuilding. It isn't the Seahawks. It isn't the this. It isn't the that. It is the Dallas freaking Cowboys, and they are wasting this window where you have insane young talent on rookie contracts. They are bringing back Mike McCarthy. I don't understand it. And oh, by the way, it is worth noting, I told you two years ago, it's the details. It's the little stuff. Nothing has changed. Unprepared, undisciplined on Sunday against the Packers. And Mike McCarthy should have been gone a long time ago. With that said, where Aaron was wrong, I said on Monday show, I said, you got to get rid of Mike McCarthy. Get rid of him. You can't bring him back. Well, what did we find out on Wednesday night? Mike McCarthy, of course, is going to come back. And while I was wrong, while I thought this was going to be the moment in time where Mike McCarthy was let go, what I will also say is that this does kind of confirm something I told you a few weeks ago or over the uh, uh, a few days ago, is that while everybody thinks that Jerry Jones is this crazy, maverick, renegade guy that's just hiring and firing everybody, that's not who he is, and it's not who he's been the last 15 or 20 years. You go back to when it was time to fire Jason Garrett, and I know we talked about this a little bit to lead the show, but when it was time to fire Jason Garrett, it was like a two-week process. The season ended. Everybody knew he needed to go 10 years. I think he had one to two playoff wins over that entire time. And what happens? Jerry can't pull the trigger. Jerry thinking about bringing him back. Jerry might bring him back. Then it's, oh, we should put him in a front office role. And then finally, Jerry pulled the trigger and frankly put Jason Garrett out of his misery. So listen, I did say on Monday's show that Mike McCarthy should be fired and would be fired and needed to be let go. And I was just dead wrong. I thought with the candidates on the market this year, Belichick, Rabel, Jim Harbaugh, that the move would be made. Instead, another year of Mike McCarthy, where Aaron was right. Let's go to college hoops, because one of my preseason Final Four picks was the North Carolina Tar Heels. And when I picked North Carolina, I got so much crap. Torres, you told us a year ago that Carolina was going to be good, and they stunk. Well, guess what? Last year was last year. This year is this year. And guess what? Carolina is really freaking good. They're 13-3. and They're 6-0 and in the ACC. Only losses. Neutral court to a good Villanova team that was at full strength. Neutral court to Kentucky. Neutral court to UConn. Those are the only three losses with this team. And I think they just keep getting better every single game. We talked about them on Wednesday's show. We don't need to go through the lineup and the roster and the this and the that. But they are exactly who I told you they would be. They're led by the two veterans, R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, and they found some really nice pieces in the portal to put around them. I think Carolina is a legitimate Final Four contender. I think depending on how the bracket breaks, they're a national championship contender. Now, there are teams that are better. I think UConn's better. I think uh, Kentucky's better. They're one of the few teams that I think Purdue actually matches up pretty well with. But I told you they would be good. They were ranked 18th, 19th in the preseason, and they are currently ranked number four. 13 and three and atop the ACC standings where Aaron was wrong about my UConn Huskies. So we just talked about them a minute ago. I won't go too long here, but I'll be honest is I did not see this coming from UConn. I thought they would be good. I think I had them in three, four, five range in the preseason, but I kind of just sat there and said, you, you're, they're not going to go back to back. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. They lost three guys that are currently in the NBA right now. Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, Adama Sonogo. Listen, they're, they're, they're great program. Great story. Last year was incredible, but they aren't going back to back. They aren't even, you know, they're a good team, but they're not that kind of team. Well, as we just talked about, they're number one in the polls. They're beating everybody. They destroyed that Creighton team on Wednesday night. And that is a good Creighton team at home, at Gamble Pavilion. Now listen, you still got to do it for the rest of the regular season. The schedule does get tougher. They do have a lot of tough road games still that to play at St. John's, at Villanova this weekend, at Marquette, two games against Marquette actually, at Creighton. So there's still a lot of games left on the schedule. I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to be number one the rest of the year. I'm not saying they're even going to be the overwhelming national title favorite. What I am saying though, I do think they are good enough to do it, which is something that I don't know that I fully believed in the preseason. Finally, let's get to a couple more where Aaron was right. Let's stay with college hoops and let's go to the Kentucky Wildcats. I've mentioned it a few times, but I watched every game of that summer tour when they went to Canada to play in the global gym. 
and everybody else in the college basketball media is making fun of Kentucky. What is this global jam? Who cares? It's not a real event. And I said, all you got to do is watch. I don't care who they're playing. They're getting up and down. They're putting the ball in the basket. All these dudes can ball. And what have we seen since the season began? This is a team that's good enough to win the national championship. Put up 90 points against a Mississippi State team that is one of the best defensive teams in college basketball on Wednesday night. They have five, six guys that can get you 20 points on any given night. I know people are worried about the defense, but we just talked about it. I think Big Z is going to be back soon. And on top of that, um, the defense will get better, but you need a level of offensive competence to succeed in March, and they have that. It doesn't matter who they play. I mean, they just they just put up 90 against a top 20, you know, top elite college basketball defense. Told you in the, in the summer they'd be good. Told you in the fall they would be good. I don't know that I thought they'd be this good, but I've been on this all along. Credit to the Kentucky Wildcats. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. Let's go back to college football for just a half a second. I gotta owe, I, I owe Ryan Day a little bit of an apology. Now listen, I think on game day between the white lines, he's got a lot to prove. And I think beyond that, like, you know, it's what we just said with Mike McCarthy. You're not judged what you do against Rutgers and what you do against Indiana. Mike McCarthy, that's obviously, you know, a different scenario, but you get the point. But with Ryan Day, he's judged by Michigan, Big Ten Championships, National Championships. But what I will give him credit for, since the season ended, this guy has done every single thing right. Brought back a ton of really good players. I forget if we talked about this on the show earlier in the week, but brought back Emeka Buka, Travion Henderson, the leading rusher, JT Tui Mola, could have been a first-round pick. They all decided to turn down the NFL and all come back. They add Quinshawn Judkins, the star running back from Ole Miss. And then finally, of course, they add the quarterback, Will Howard, uh, from, from Kansas State. As I record here, we have no official answer on Caleb Downs, but it sounds like they are very much in the mix there, so we will see what happens. But credit Ryan Day, man. Listen, I'm still going to criticize him on game day if his team doesn't deliver, but he's done everything right in the offseason, and I think they are very much probably the co-favorites with Georgia for the national championship next year. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. Go on TikTok. If you're not on TikTok, just, I mean, if you're not, don't sign up just for Torres. But if you're on it, just give Aaron Torres Pod a, a quick like. It's not too much to ask, is it? Oh, and make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. All for today's show. I'll be back on Monday. Probably talk a little NFL again. Those NFL Mondays are kind of fun, but it's time for me to go. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bruh. Bruh. Unblock me. I'll be back Monday. New episode, Aaron Toast Pop.